imagine that you have an older sibling who is quite a strong leader. They start hitting their stride in their late 20s and they begin to be successful. People notice what they say and they acquire a following. Not the Twitter kind, but the real kind, where a crowd shows up to see what they will say or do next. But excuse me, this is a person you grew up with. You think that what he's doing is nonsense. And not only is he attracting a following, but what he's saying and doing is starting to get him into trouble with the powers that be. You and your siblings just can't get behind what he's doing and you can't support him. So you tell him to stop. You show up at one of his events with the rest of the family and try to get him to come home with you. You literally tell people, yeah, he's out of his mind. It's unclear what you're afraid of or why you oppose him, maybe even to yourself, but you just can't let it go. And of course, like older siblings will, he doesn't listen to you at all. Instead, at one of his rallies, he refuses to see all of your family when they come to visit. And he tells those who are present that those who are part of God's family are more important than those who are related to him. Now you can add rejection to your list of grievances. This is part of the story of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus, who we look to as the perfect teacher whose life we need. But imagine being his younger brother. Competition is tough enough without the one you follow in birth order being the one you don't want to follow at all. And everyone thinks that he's so great. Especially your mother, whom you may want to protect when things start getting crazy. We don't know of any of Jesus' family who support him in his ministry except for Mary, who in the Gospels record chooses to be close to her son. There are several men named James in the Bible, which is actually Jacob in Hebrew. Yet church tradition tells us that the writer of the book of James, James the Just, he is called, the brother of Jesus. By the time he writes this, he is the head of the church of Jerusalem, a full-fledged follower of his brother who has become his Lord. We don't know his full story or when the switch occurred, but in 1 Corinthians, James is pointedly mentioned in the list of those that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. We imagine this could have been the turning point when James goes from being an unbeliever to one who has surrendered his life. We learn the most about James from Paul's writings. In his testimony, he tells how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Three years later, he goes to Jerusalem to spend time with the leaders of the church, whom he calls the three pillars, Peter, John, and James. But not James, the son of Zebedee, James, the brother of Jesus. And 14 years after that meeting, they convene again with the leaders and all the apostles of the early church at what we know as the Jerusalem Council. 
And at this pivotal assembly, the Jewish leaders hear testimony about how the Gentiles should not have to bear the yoke of the law like they have had to do. They wrestle with what it means to maybe not have their Jewish traditions and customs not followed in the church moving forward in the future. And Paul and Peter testify how the Gentile believers have the gift of the Holy Spirit just as much as they do, and how the Lord has been doing miraculous things among them. And after everyone speaks, James is the one that they seem to look to. And he declares that the non-Jewish believer in Christ does not have to observe all of the things and the customs that they have been doing handed down from Moses. James was known as a passionate disciple and wise leader. He was trusted to guide the young church in the ways that they needed. It was written that he was such a prayer warrior that he spent so much time talking to God that he began to be known as Camel Knees. Because his knees were so hard and calloused. Now this is considered a general letter to the church. There are seven of them in the New Testament. Including 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude, another half-brother of Jesus. Here we see pastoral exhortation as James guides the church to faithfully live out their salvation. Clearly, the believers were struggling with divisiveness and favoritism, with their tongue, with intolerance, with suffering, and a great desire for wealth. And in the mold of an Old Testament prophet, James boldly spells out what they need to change. He does not suggest. Rather, he uses imperatives, leaving no ambiguity. Because his goal is to help people grow into maturity in Christ. There are over 50 commands in this book. James was one of the first books written, but one of the last added to the New Testament canon. That's because it's a brief letter. It doesn't have a lot of doctrine in it. Some theologians have taken issue with it. It doesn't have any references to other New Testament letters because, of course, they haven't been written yet. But there are many allusions to the Beatitudes found in Matthew. You'll see that I put quotes on the front of your bulletin from the book of James. I encourage you in this week, before we meet again, to read the entire book of James. It's only five chapters, but it is a good read for all of us and has things that all of us need to hear. The Lord's going to meet us as we uh, study this book like he does all of the time. And we're going to be in this book until Christ the King Sunday in November. So it's going to be a good ride together. So let us start with the first verse from James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. As we begin, we want to notice what a brief opening to uh, a letter this is by the standards of the day. It's simple and to the point. There's no sentiment like Paul saying how grateful he is for the church or how much he thanks God every time he thinks about them. He does not call himself the brother of the Messiah, the resurrected one. He does not announce that he is the head of the church in Jerusalem. 
When we get emails today, sometimes we might get uh, emails from leaders who put all of their credentials after their name in their email listed below, so we know how important they are. To say that this opening in James is understated would be, well, an understatement. In fact, one of the reasons why the letter almost missed being in the Bible is because church leaders had a hard time figuring out which James was the actual author. Now, when a person writes something, you can pick up their tone of voice in their writing. We're going to hear James's voice. We're going to get to understand what he sounds like. And when we do that, we'll begin to understand his heart through it. In these first few words that he gives us, he wants us to know that he is a servant. This is a familiar word to us, one that we have talked about many times, because it's essential for understanding what life in Christ is about. The word is doulos, and it means slave or bondservant. In the Roman world, slavery was a way of life. There were millions of slaves, and the practice was not considered evil by most citizen, citizens, but as a necessity, especially an economic one. It was not based on race. There were different types of slavery. They were acquired in battles. People were um, gotten through piracy from dealers through trade. And with most slavery, all slavery, no one who was a slave would choose it because it's horrific. It was humiliating and often treacherous where the will and the character of the master dictated the outcome of their days and lives. Yet here is James calling himself a slave, a bond servant of God. He takes this idea of a person who has no will, who has been degraded in the eyes of the culture, and says, this is what I am. James is identifying with those who live in submission to the one who owns them, but certainly... Certainly not to romanticize it, but to express something vital about his life, which is no longer his own. Again, we understand puffing oneself up in order to look good in front of one's peers, and especially with those over whom we have power. But James is saying that in his life he had a great debt. And that debt was erased for him. And because of this, he chooses to be obedient and humble to the one who paid the price. This is not a new idea. And we see many New Testament writers call themselves by this name. But it's important for us to think of this and be reminded of it as we start into this book. His goal is to show readers how to act and live as Christians. And so in these first verses, he is telling you that that is the life that he attempts to live as well. The life that he is proclaiming is secondary to God. And that's what all of us need to understand. What he says next is not found in any other book in the Bible, that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to say it would be a servant of God, even of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Jesus is uh, on equal setting with God. James is saying Jesus and God are the same person. Jesus is my Lord. He is my master. 
What James means by writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion is unclear. Because he wrote this letter early, we need to remember it was before the Jerusalem Council. So all Christians in his sphere would have been mostly of Jewish descent. He is writing to the Jewish believers who would have had a difficult road. Not entirely sure what the new church was going to be. How much do they keep their Jewish distinctiveness? They were shunned, of course, in their Jewish community and increasingly persecuted. Because of war and being conquered, they were scattered throughout the world. Perhaps it is to this audience that he writes, wanting to give encouragement to be the people of God in the new day when Messiah has come. And as he points out the spiritual issues that they have, we know that they are the same that we have. And his words resonate for all people who are following Christ as we learn and remember what it means to grow in his holiness and love. The pastor and writer Warren Wearsby says that the idea of dispersion is not just that the 12 tribes were no longer in one physical place, but that in the Greek it also carries with it the idea of scattering seed. When the first wave of persecution hits that we see in Acts 8 with Saul, Jewish believers are scattered, and that had the effect of sowing the seeds of the gospel wherever they went, which then bore great fruit for the Lord. The last word here is greetings. That's an expression of good wishes, a salutation. It also can have the connotation of peace, rejoice, thrive. Someone who takes the time to write a letter is prayerfully extending the goodness of the Lord to those who will receive it. History records that James was martyred somewhere between the years 61 and 63 for refusing to renounce Jesus, his brother by blood, his Lord by grace. James's death was ordered by the high priest at the time. It was reported that they threw him off the temple and then stoned him. And as he was dying, he was praying forgiveness for those who killed him. May we all learn a deeper way of being a servant, a due loss of Christ from the time we will spend in this book of James. May we come before this book with humility, taking the instruction that the Lord wants to give us, being willing to grow and mature as he would have us. And may God, even the Lord Jesus Christ, be magnified in his church. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.